Now, who out here are my Black Friday shoppers in the room? Raise your hand. Be loud and proud about it. Come on. Come on. I know you, you think that if you raise your hand this morning that we will assume that you are one of those people who fight in the lines at Walmart. And uh, even if you do know this, we don't judge here. <laughs> now this year after men and women awoke from their tryptophan-induced comas, uh, they spent an all-time level this Black, Black Friday, it was 74 billion dollars on that day, people on the quest for the perfect gift at the right price. And of course, if you get that big screen TV for $200 cheaper, who can complain at that either? Now, as you think about the perfect gift, what factors come to your mind? Well, I learned early in my marriage to Katie that I don't take very many factors into consideration at all. I, I happen to be an outsourcer on many things. I, I like to engage the experts, get their wisdom. And for our first Christmas, I did just that. I walked into Sears, and I found a sales clerk to help make a recommendation for the perfect outfit. Now, this was a very direct, terse conversation. We got right to the point. I picked out the outfit. The, the outfit was wrapped, box-checked, wait for Christmas. And when Katie opened the gift on Christmas morning, her eyes were less than sparkly and delighted and oozing with all of those lovely feelings that the perfect gift should produce in a person. Turns out that walking into Sears and asking a 75-year-old woman to recommend clothes <laughs> for a 20-year-old woman is not the wisest move. Now, they were the perfect clothes if Katie was planning on retiring to Florida. <laughs> you see, when it comes to gifts, we try our best, but some of our gifts hit the mark and others are colossal flops. But when it comes to the gifts Jesus brought, Jesus, God made flesh, who came into the world, those gifts are eternally perfect. Every single gift that he brings into the world always hits the mark. And so we're not going to be able to exhaust all of those gifts through this Christmas series, but we are going to take a look at three of the most prominent gifts. The gift we will look at first this morning is a gift that I think uh, everybody longs for. It's the type of gift, it doesn't matter if you have all of the money in the world, if this gift is missing, you will not enjoy all of that wealth. But it's also the type of gift, if you have nothing, not a thing in the world, if you are experiencing this gift, well, I'll tell you, life is pretty good. And the gift that I'm talking about this morning is happiness. Happiness. You see, I think that this gift is one of the gifts that our faith has to offer anybody, anyone in the world looking for this. I think of a quote that St. Augustine made. He was from the third century. He said this, every man whatsoever his condition desires to be happy. Now let's think about a sad state of affairs. With that said, we need to 
examine the gulf that exists between the desire for happiness and the so-called felt happiness in our culture. Now, when it's true that every person whatsoever desires this, it's also true that happiness is a rare commodity. I hear people say such things as, I only wish to be happy, which says to me that there's a lack of happiness in their world. You also look at the statistics of things like depression, anxiety, uh, loneliness, and again, the, the theme I would submit to you of our culture is one of decided unhappiness. Why is that? Let's take a look at a couple of things. Uh, there's many reasons, but I think these are some of the most important. First, I want us to see that our circumstances do little to change our felt happiness. And you think about this, uh, there is little correlation, as research indicates, between the circumstances of people's lives and how happy they are. Now, we might also think of it in terms of genetics. We might look and say, you know, there's some people out there, and boy, they are just so happy-go-lucky. Like that preacher, Rob Wheeler, he seems to be always smiling. And then you meet the other person out there, and they're more like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh. Well, David Murray in his book, The Happy Christian, shares that circumstances make up, uh, make up about 10% uh, linked to our happiness. Uh, your genetics, how you were wired, that makes up about 50% of the happiness that you feel. And then there's 40% that's linked to something else, and we'll get to that. You see, when people respond to the question, why aren't you happy, they tend to focus on circumstances. Have you ever played the I'll be happy when game? I'll be happy when I meet that right person to marry. I'll be happy when my, my, my job starts recognizing me and seeing the value that I bring to this company. I'll be happy when I change location. I go to that place that has that, that quality of life that I've always been working, looking for. If I just moved to California, I'd be happier. Now, we spend most of our time dreaming about changing the 10% and not enough time asking about how can I do something about the 40%. You see, I believe that happiness eludes us because we are looking for heaven where heaven can't be found. We want the bliss of a perfect world, but we live in an imperfect world. So now we must ask, where can lasting happiness be found? Back in 2005, Tom Brady interviewed with 60 Minutes with correspondent Steve Croft, and he was obviously unhappy in this interview. He had had three Super Bowl rings, and he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean... Maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, that's what it is. I've reached my goal, my dreams, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. It was the Oxford professor C.S. Lewis. He was an atheist and agnostic for part of the time of his life. Then he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He said these words, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine, 
A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. No, God designed the human machine to run on Himself. He Himself is the fuel of our spirits. Uh, that our, the fuel of our spirits were designed to burn, or the the food of our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing, Lewis says. You see, seeking happiness without God is like seeking water without wet or seeking sunshine without light. You can attribute the happiness that you experience in your world apart from God, but i got to tell you that that's a fool's errand. Because everything that you experience, the Bible says in the book of James, that is good in your world comes to you from the Father of lights. Think about it. Every flower, every cup of coffee, and boy do I love a good cup of coffee in the morning, Uh, Those happy relationships, the person that you're sitting across from that brings joy into your world was created, was planned by God and, and wired in the way that you so love. Every meal, every note that's struck from the violin and the piano and the creativity to produce complex arrangements that we enjoy and that we find beautiful in this world All of that, ultimately, I'm submitting to you this morning, cascades down to us from God. Now, we have to ask a question. If everything comes from God, then does God care about the condition of our happiness? I was looking at um, Ravi Zacharias. He was doing... Uh, speaking engagement on a college campus, and there was a, a young man who came up and asked a question, and he looked decidedly unhappy. You could tell that he had been through some circumstances. His mood was gloomy. He said to Ravi, he said, there, there has been a question that, very simple, it's very simple, but it has been troubling me for some time. I keep coming back to this question. Is God at all concerned about our happiness maybe we could maybe we could ask the question a little differently because maybe you've heard it said like this is it spiritual to be concerned about our happiness well there's a stream of christian thought that would actually say no God isn't concerned about your happiness. And no, it is not spiritual to pursue happiness. I I saw a blog title that went down this vein. And the, the, the writer of the blog said this, Jesus doesn't want you to be happy. And I thought to myself, well, boy, I don't know if I want to join Christianity if that's the case. But the thought comes from this dichotomy that, that is supposedly biblical, that there is this big distinction between the word joy and the word happiness. Okay? Now this argument goes something like this. 
Joy is something entirely different from happiness. Joy in the biblical context is not an emotion. Joy brings us peace in the middle of the storm. Joy is something that God deposits in us through the Holy Spirit. There is a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is an emotion. It's temporary. Joy is an attitude of the heart. But listen to John Piper here. If you have nice little categories for Joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has. You can scrap those when you go to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its use of the language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. You see, joy is a very emotional word. It's goofy to say that it's not an emotional word. Your Christianity is meant to be deeply felt. Christians should experience deep degrees of sadness when sad things happen. And there should be brilliant moments of laughter in your world. And sometimes, yes, we experience intense anger. But the dominant mood I'm submitting to you today of your Christian experience should be one of happiness, joy, gladness. You know, the typical English dictionary defines joy this way. A feeling of great pleasure and happiness. Friends, that's emotional. That's felt. You are supposed to feel following Jesus. And it's supposed to feel Good. Let me ask you this. Why do we want to give the devil the word happiness? It's our word. It comes from the Christian faith if you, if you really understand biblical theology. Now, David Murray identifies six kinds of happiness that are available to those who believe in Jesus and those who don't believe in Jesus. We can share these forms of happiness, he says. The first is social Second, natural. Third, vocational. Fourth, physical. Then intellectual and humorous. But there is a form of happiness that we don't share that is unique to a person who has placed their faith in Jesus. And this form is called spiritual happiness. Murray calls this unique happiness a joy that at times contains more pleasure and delight than the other six put together. So the Christian life is about connecting the dots between our happiness and God's provision. Too often we think that there are two tracks that we could go down and, and one involves being obedient and following God and the other one involves pursuing the things that I perceive will please me. But what I want to tell you and what the Bible is telling you is there are not two tracks, there's one track. And we just think that the wrong track is going to make us happy and it's lies. Following God, obeying Him, is gratifying to the soul. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, yes, God is concerned about your happiness. He doesn't want you to live with some kind of, oh, I'm joyful, even though you look dour and sad in your affect. He wants a joy that is felt. Because here's the deal, joy and happiness are synonyms. 
So now we got to ask, well, how do I find true happiness? Let me tell you a little bit about my story. When I was 16, I had a phase of my life that was very unhappy. I had walked away from my Christian faith. I had become convinced that pursuing things that were immediate in their gratification for me would bring real happiness into my world. And there was this vicious cycle then of uh, self-deception, anger, and then feeling empty. For two years, I raged internally. There was a, a period of particular brokenness when I, I finally realized that I was looking for happiness in all of the wrong places. A.W. Tozer identifies what I was feeling. He says, man is bored because he is too big to be happy with that which sin is giving him. Now even the things that are not sinful, even the things that are meant to be enjoyed in life, when I, when I take those things and I place them in the position of priority in my life, they will become dissatisfying to me. Think about a dating relationship. When I put my dating relationship above my relationship with God, that dating relationship becomes my entire world, and then it is dissatisfying eventually. Why? Because the dating relationship is too small, I'm telling you to occupy that place. Your job, uh, the income that you bring into your world, too small to occupy that place. The next adventure, backpacking, putting things on your bucket list and checking them off, too small. All of these things can be enjoyed. They should be enjoyed. Christians should be the best at enjoying them. But they can only be truly enjoyed when they are orders of magnitude less than God. And you see, when I realized that at the age of 18, I found happiness. And friends, I am very happy. And uh, that's because of this point, the happiness that you've always longed for is found in Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and that's Matthew chapter 5, Luke chapter 6, and there's a Greek word that Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. It's called makarios. Uh, typically, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it's translated as blessed. But I, I would like to submit to you this morning that blessed is not the best English word that word, if, if you're not involved in church, just kind of sounds vague and ethereal and churchy. There's a much better English word. And the better word is true happiness. That's something we can all relate to. So Jesus is saying, truly happy are those who are uh, poor in spirit. He is saying this, my teaching is meant to produce true happiness in the hearts of my disciples. Listen to how the, the gospel is described in Isaiah 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of what? Happiness. Happiness. You see, when 
Jesus came as a baby at Christmas. God was unleashing the gift of happiness upon the world. He lived a life that was perfect. He, he showed us that doing life God's way could produce incredible happiness in the world of a disciple. We are too addicted to sin to understand this. Our minds are clouded. We, we think that the lesser gifts are always going to please us more than the, the greater gifts. And Jesus came to show us that true happiness is found in the greater gifts. That's why the Gospel's called good news. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again to new life. And now you can experience the gift of an eternal relationship with the God of the universe. In church, what I'm trying to tell you today is that as Christians, we are meant to be the happiest of all people. We no longer are separated from God. We don't carry a list of rules on our shoulders that we can never live up to in Jesus because He lived a life that you couldn't live. You can experience eternal satisfaction in God. And I want to tell you about that eternal life. That doesn't start after you die. That life is meant to be lived now, felt now, enjoyed now. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So if the gospel doesn't make you happy, there must be some kind of misunderstanding or something that you're not believing about it. And if you care about your friends, neighbors, loved ones, they need to see a happy Christian. They need to see someone who's delighting in the Lord, that there's something uniquely different about their mood, their affect, because they're a follower of Jesus. And then the happiness of our lives can overflow into the lives of others. And I'm not talking about a manufactured happiness. You know, you've walked into that church and there's this like plastic grin on the faces of people. And, and you can tell that underneath the veneer that there is this this miserableness, I guess, is the word. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real, felt happiness. Sunday to Sunday. The happiest of all people have the happiest of all messages to offer. So now that when your friend expresses a desire and says, I, I want to be happy, you can say, did you know that God wired you to be happy? He made you that way and, and He's the source of that. And let me tell you a little bit about the happiness I have in Jesus. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, that's all well and good. I believe in Jesus. I, I try to be happy. But I'm just not happy. I don't feel happy. I don't experience this happiness that you're prattling on about. The question that you're really asking is, are there steps that we can take to become happier? And I, I want to tell you this morning that the answer to that question is yes. Remember, 40% of your happiness has nothing to do with genetics or with your circumstances. In fact, what research has found is 40% of your happiness has to do with what you think and what you do. What you think and what you do. So here's a big point. If you are unhappy, 
You must change what you are thinking and what you are doing. Now, I want to make a couple of suggestions on how we can change the thought process. Uh, The first is this. Read your Bible to increase your happiness. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Happy are those who love the Lord's teachings and they think about those teachings day and night. You know, your happiness, I would submit to you, is proportionately linked with the genuine and real time that you spend with the Lord and seek after Him relationally. That has to do with the Bible reading. That has to do with your prayer time. All of that is linked in. And we know this from the Bible because our, our feelings of happiness are linked to changing of thought patterns. According to Romans 12, verse 2, uh, Paul says, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Now, think about this amazing mind that God has given us. Of a hundred things that come into our sensors, uh, our sensory whatevers, um, 99 of those, that was clear good English, by the way, 99 of those things that we pick up on are filtered into our spam filter. You know, it's really, really bad if your brain doesn't filter everything that you're perceiving as you're walking around. You would be inundated. It's called sensory sensory overload. Now, of that 1% that our mind is filtering, I would submit to you that our mind tends to do a very good job of taking in the negative and a really, really good job of filtering out the positive into our world. Well, here's the deal. God's Word is meant to cleanse our mind, transform our mind, so that we replace the negative with the positive truth that He's telling us. Uh, I was proud of Katie. I, I went over to her workspace where she has her computer, and I saw this quote from George Mueller, and it was this, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Here's another one. Take thoughts captive to increase your happiness. So if our mind is speaking negative thoughts to us as a Christian, I need to combat those thoughts with truth. Here's the true thing about our emotions. Our emotions can bully our mind. Your, your emotions can insert thoughts such as, you know, so-and-so, well, they don't really like you that much because you sent them a text and clearly they didn't respond to that text, so therefore they hate you now. Our emotions can create incredible generalities. I walked into that place and I had a bad experience. And, you know, every time I walk into that place, it's probably going to be a negative experience. So I'm just never going to do that again. Our emotions can tell us that we are not good enough. I should, I ought, I should, I ought, I should, I ought, I should, I ought. Becomes the repeated mantra of the mind. But friends, here's what I want to tell you. Facts are greater than your feelings. True thoughts are always superior to subjective thoughts. When our emotions bully our mind, we must do what the psalmist did. You know what they do a good job of? They talk to themselves. 
You've been told that you're not supposed to talk to yourself, but really, you're supposed to talk to yourself. When Asaph was feeling low in Psalm 77, he started speaking truth to himself. Here was the negative thought. He said, and I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. There's a big generality statement, isn't there? But then, I recall all you have done, O Lord. He's talking to himself. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. So in this psalm, Asaph is doing what you're supposed to do with bullies. He is bullying the bully with truth. Here's another one. Be generous and grateful to increase your happiness. A survey 2010 of 4,500 Americans found that those who volunteered an average of 100 hours per week or year, not per week, that would be incredible, (laughs) per year, 68% reported that they were physically healthier. 73% said that it had lowered their stress levels. 89% said that it had improved their overall sense of well-being. Friends, that's That's incredible when you think about it. You see, the truth is is that giving makes us happy. And generous hearts flow out of grateful hearts. If we're always preoccupied with the negative, with all the things that are being done to me, if, if I can't get outside of the little box that I occupy, this space, then I'm never going to truly become a person who serves others, who gives generously, who changes the world one person at a time. Before we move on to talk about eternal happiness, I know that some of us are asking the questions, what about if I'm dealing with grief and suffering? What do I do there? Well, friend, I just... This is an entire sermon, by the way, so we're not going to go off on this long, but I just want to tell you that there's significant hope that you are still meant to experience happiness even now. I was reading the story of a man, David Branyard. He was orphaned at 14 and suffered from debilitating tuberculosis. One time he was praying, and he describes the experience of the prayer. He said that he had found relief in prayer, loved as a feeble, afflicted, despised creature, to cast myself on a God of infinite grace and goodness, hoping for no happiness but from Him. Toward night, I felt my soul rejoice that God is unchangeably happy and glorious. Here's the theological truth. The Bible tells us that God is sovereign. You see, if God is not sovereign, then human suffering is only ever a tragedy. But if God is infinitely powerful, unchangeable, and bent on bringing about our happiness, as Brainerd suggests, then He can overrule terrible circumstances to bring about true happiness both now and into eternity. So let's talk about eternity. 
You see, the greatest gift is that Jesus' coming was not just meant for a good time to be had by all now. It was meant for an eternal gift. And that gift came to us through the gospel message. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.5, the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. The gospel is meant to inspire thoughts in our hearts about heaven. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you thought to yourself, I wish this would just keep going on. I want this to go on forever and ever and ever. Maybe it was a getaway with your family. Maybe it was a perfect sunset on a beautiful vantage point or a long night of conversation with a friend around roaring fire and it just keeps rolling and and there's laughter and there's mirth. See, I believe that that craving is a craving that is meant to be satisfied. Heaven is the place where things go on forever. Of all the emotions you experience in this life, many are temporary. Uh, It was uh, the 20th century psychologist Paul Ekman, he identified six basic emotions. They were anger, disgust, fear, sadness, happiness, and surprise. When you think about these emotions, think about this. In heaven, anger no longer should be present. I'm pretty sure that we will not be experiencing sadness in heaven. I can't think of a reason that you would look at anything in heaven and find it disgusting. Uh, There would be no reason to fear anything in heaven. So the only two emotions that remain are surprise and happiness. Now why surprise? Because God is infinite in His capacity to bring about new things in our world that will delight us. Heaven will be this place of exploration, anticipation. There will be discoveries that spread as far as the universe is vast. And we will all truly experience profound happiness unlike any happiness we have felt here. The new heaven the Bible presents is a place where there is resurrection, transformation, perfection. God will have resurrected people living on a resurrected planet. There will be resurrected human natures, resurrected nations, resurrected cultures. We will eternally enjoy things like resurrected art, music, literature, drama. The environment will be resurrected and the galaxies, the vast cosmos that God has made. God planned our eternal happiness since before creation. Listen to how Isaiah describes eternity. But be happy and rejoice forevermore over what I am about to create. For look, I am ready to create Jerusalem to be a source of joy and here people to be a source of happiness. Jerusalem will bring me joy and my people will bring me happiness The sound of weeping or cries of sorrow will never be heard in her again. As we close, I want to leave you with this thought. 
Sonia Limbomirsky, one of the world's foremost experts on happiness, admits, I don't have a religious bone in my body or a spiritual bone in my body. And yet, this expert acknowledges that study after study clearly indicates that happiness is linked to God. People who have faith are generally happier. Maybe today is the first time that you're beginning to realize that a relationship with God could change things in your world, could bring about the things that you've always desired. You look at your life, and it's just been one continuous horizontal line of pain and moments that bring about negativity. In fact, you think of that line, and the line looks awfully a lot like a negative symbol. It's robbed you of joy, of happiness. It seems elusive to you. But what if what I am saying is true? Today I'm suggesting that if you add a, a vertical line to that negative symbol, it creates what? A positive symbol. In Christianity, our positive symbol is the cross. This is a symbol where God overcame incredible suffering and sadness and gloom and brought about unceasing joy. Christianity doesn't deny your pain and your suffering, but with one vertical line from heaven to earth, with Jesus being born, with Jesus dying on the cross and dying for your sins, with Jesus being raised again from the dead, we have seen that Christianity promises to change the equation of your life. See, that's what it's all about. God is all for that. Christianity is a religion that is meant to change the very DNA of your world. And that comes into your world by trusting Jesus as your Savior. So I'm going to ask you to do something. If you'd bow your heads with me for a moment... I want us to close our time by reflecting. It's important to take time and pause and think and ask yourself the question, believer, unbeliever, that's all right, am I truly happy? Am I experiencing the happiness that God always intended for me to experience? And as you think about that and as you think about what we've talked about this morning, the next question is, what, what needs to change? What needs to change? Are you focusing too much on the negative? Are you not spending time with God and delighting in Him? If you don't know Jesus, the first step towards happiness is a relationship with Jesus. And that can start today. Uh, in your heart of hearts, you can pray right now where you sit, Lord Jesus, in the best way I know how, I put my faith in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised again to new life. And in you, I can find true happiness, true delight, true joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.